Cade Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Hello everybody and you are very welcome to this episode of the Letter from Ireland podcast. I'm Mike Collins and I'm going to be with you for a rather extended version of the show today. We're going to run for about an hour and 20 minutes because today's show is actually called The Evolution of Irish Music in 12 Tracks. Now, let me explain a little bit more. First and foremost, um, this is actually a show that we actually uh, recorded in the depths of COVID lockdown, actually, a little while back for our Green Room members. But, you know, I thought it would actually be very, very useful now that we actually have rights uh, to play the music publicly and so on, to bring it into our podcast. So, first and foremost, you can actually find the actual track listing for today's show. You can find it at lettermireland.com forward slash 724. That's lettermireland.com forward slash 724. Now, of course, it's a very personal evolution and a very personal history but I'd like to kind of give maybe kind of a perspective uh, through 12 different tracks of how I personally saw, I guess, kind of the, the rebirth of Irish music and how it needed to actually, I think, go out in the world and come back to Ireland in order to actually fulfill its potential over the last 30, 40, 50 years, that sort of time frame. So, as I said, we have 12 tracks lined up, and we're going to go straight in with the very first one, which is called The Lonely Woods of Upton, and it's sung by Sean, by Sean Dunphy. Now, let me give you a little bit of perspective here. So, cast yourself back, I guess, to the time of the Irish famine in the mid-1800s. Now, at that point in time, or up to that point in time, I think it's kind of widely believed that I guess kind of Irish storytelling, Irish songs and so on, had a lot of kind of gaiety about them and quite a lot of confidence and so on. You know, a lot of these songs and tunes as such would have gone back hundreds of years at that point and we would actually have very accomplished musicians around the place. Maybe not with a lot of money, but certainly with the ability to have a bit of crack anyway. Of course, one of the big things that happened with the Irish famine in the mid-1800s was that over the many decades that followed, uh, essentially millions of people actually left this island as well as unfortunately dying from starvation. So we had this mass emigration all over the world. And I guess kind of over those following decades as well, you had very, very large kind of, I guess, kind of um, th- happenings such as the rediscovery of Irish identity and the actual formation of the Republic of Ireland, for example, in, uh, well, essentially starting about 1922. But a lot of people, they kind of think, well, right, well, the emigration of the famine happened in mid-1800s and like it was a big bang. But if you look at the census, every 10 years after that, for a lot of counties in Ireland, especially the actual west of Ireland, the population kept on going down right until 1971, would you believe? Certainly until 1951 for a lot of locations, but certainly 1971 for a lot of places in the west coast. And where did these people go? Well, right up to 71, essentially, following the Second World War, uh, especially, many people actually left the uh, rural parishes and villages of the west of Ireland 
and headed for the cities of the United Kingdom, which needed rebuilding following the Second World War. So, for example, that's an example of both of my parents who actually left to work in London in the actual uh, early 1950s. So the point I make here is those people then, they went abroad, they found themselves in Canada, the USA, Australia, New Zealand, Scotland, England, Wales, you get the picture, South Africa, all over the place. And one thing they actually carried with them, I guess, was the need for connection to home. And by the time the 1950s and 60s came along, you had the actual occurrence of what we like to call the ballrooms, the, the ballrooms of romance, the electrification of bands and so on. So you had various show bands, let's call them that, starting to do the actual tours, for example, around the halls and cities of the various parts of the United Kingdom and Ireland. And, for example, if you headed to North London, then you get to Cricklewood, you'd find the local Irish diaspora all arriving in the 1950s. And by the time the mid-60s came along, you had a very, very vibrant uh, expat scene going on there, current Pat, if you like, Patrick, um, scene going on there in the ballrooms. So, point being that a lot of these electrification bands and singers, they started to tour around the circuits. And the sort of songs they brought with them were typically... Um, how to say, uh, often Irish rebel songs mixed in with the actual pop hits of the day and generally speaking put to a very danceable kind of rhythm. So here we hear one and it's called The Lonely Woods of Upton and it dates itself back to the 1960s and I guess it's kind of one example that I would have come across as a relatively young fellow that, that my parents would have actually had a, a version of this over in the dance halls of North London back in the 50s and into the early 60s, that sort of time. So have a listen to the lyrics as well, and you'll notice that actually very much refers to, as I mentioned, the actual idea of rebel songs, but you also have that actually waltz time as well, so you could just happily dance away uh, with somebody who wanted the, the lyrics and where they actually came from. The Lonely Woods of Upton. Homes are filled with sorrow and with sadness. Many hearts are filled with anguish and with pain. For old Ireland now she hangs her head in mourning. For the men who died at Upton. For Sinn Féin Let the moon shine out tonight Along the valley Where those men who fought For freedom now are they May they rest in peace Those men who died for Ireland in the lonely woods of Upton for Sinn Féin. Some were thinking of their mothers, wives and sweethearts. Some were thinking of their dear old Irish homes. Did they think of how they Along the valley When they marched 
Out from Cork City to their doom The morning cry rang out Fixed the obedience And those gallant lads They fixed them for the fray Gallantly they fought and died for old Ireland In the lonely woods at Hopton far away Let the moon shine out tonight along the valley Where those men who fought for freedom now are laid John Dunphy there with the lonely woods of Upton. That would have been a staple of the dance halls around certainly the UK and Ireland back in the 1960s. Now, staying with the 1960s, and we'll kind of separate this show into the various decades, more or less up to the present. Um, I guess, kind of, if you were to look at the island of Ireland back in the 1940s, 50s and 60s, thereabouts, you had, uh, I would say, kind of a sense of self-confidence was very, very kind of depleted at that point in time. And that very much reflected in the music, which is kind of, I suppose, getting fairly old in the tooth and fairly morose at that point in time. And a lot of the musicians as well, things like the Illum Pipes, there were kind of, you could count on two hands, for, for example, the number of performers of the Illum Pipes, Pipes at that point in time. But one of the actual major bands to actually go over to the diaspora, in this case in the USA primarily, was a group of folk singers from County Tipperary, and they were in fact a group of brothers called the Clancy Brothers. Now, the Clancy Brothers, I don't think you can underestimate how they, along with Tommy Maycomb, brought the actual idiom of Irish folk and Irish storytelling onto the stage. And here we're going to have a song, in fact, from Carnegie Hall, Life from Carnegie Hall, from 1962. But what started to happen was, because they were making such an impact in places like New York, that was actually being noticed back in Ireland. And we were kind of pepping up our heads and saying, hang on a second now, the people really like them. And it's not always just because they're actually of Irish ancestry, but they appreciate the actual quality of the musicianship, the showmanship, uh, the storytelling, and the idea of a night out. And I guess in some ways, people like the Clancy Brothers caused us to look very carefully again at the music we actually had on our own doorstep and maybe kind of assess, oh, maybe it's time now to pick up the old guitar, pick up a different musical instrument, join a folk club and start to rediscover some of those songs that people abroad seem to appreciate so well. So here we have the Irish Rover, uh, an old great rebel emigration tune, uh, probably more an emigration tune, and it's the Clancy Brothers with Tommy Makem live from Carnegie Hall. And we were sailing away with the cargo of bricks for the ground. 
Sun City Hall of New York. Well, we'd an elegant craft, it was rich for a last. And how the trade winds drove her, she had 23 mass, and she stood several blasts, and they called her the Irish Rover. Well, there was Barney McGee from the banks of the lake, there was Hogan from the Peter Road. And there was Johnny McCork, who was scared stiff of work, and the chap from Westmead Nippolo. We had Slugger O'Toole, who was drunk as a rule, and fighting Bill Tracy from Dover, and your man, Mick McCann, from the banks of the band, was the skipper of the Irish Rover. We had one million bags of the best Ligo rags, we had two million barrels of bone, and we had three million bales of all Nadigal's tails, we had four million barrels of bone. Five million hogs, six million dogs, yes. seven million barrels of porter. We had eight million sights of all blind horses' tights in the hall of the Irish Rover. We had sailed seven years when the mizzen broke out and the ship lost her way in the fog. Big pop. And the whale of the crew was reduced until two, was myself and the captain's old dog. So how are we doing now? There we had the Clancy Brothers and Tommy Maycomb from 1962 and it's the Irish Rover live at Carnegie Hall. Now, staying with the 1960s, as I said, I, I guess this was a time, it's a very interesting time, uh, because you actually had a lot of actually singers and musicians that actually were born after the time of, let's say, uh, Irish independence. And... As such, in some ways, they had less baggage and were kind of children of the 60s and ready to go out in the world and actually make their mark without saying, you know, uh, if you don't mind to everybody they might encounter. So one of the actual groups from the 1960s to start to kind of both uh, reinterpret and interpret and come up with their original recordings of old Irish songs or perhaps get poetry and put it to music were the Dubliners from, of course, the town of Dublin. And the Dubliners were a band very noted for their longevity. So although they may have come out of a pub like Donoghue's in Dublin back in the early 1960s, uh, they all pretty much kept playing inside the Dubliners almost up to the time of each one of their deaths. And I, I can't remember exactly who's living. Yeah, John Sheehan, the fiddle player I know, is living at this point in time. But they started to bring Irish music out into what I would say the stadiums. We used to go see them, if you like, at the actual uh, GAA stadiums. So it wasn't just in a pub anymore. It's something you could actually have in a very, very large uh, environment, singing along with your friends and so on. They also were big in places like Germany, for example, which you could argue has uh, very little uh, negligible Irish diaspora. So again, here we had an example of Irish music being taken at its own measure as such. 
and being assessed as being, well, you know what, this is something we want to hear more of. So again, it was the likes of the Dubliners started to give us here back in Ireland an increased feeling of confidence in our own musical ability. So here we actually have the Dubliners with a, a really interesting, I think, um, sociological, historical tune song, and it's called Paddy on the Railway. Me corduroy breeches I put on Me corduroy breeches I put on To work upon the railway The railway I'm weary of the railway Poor Paddy works on the railway from Hartlepool I moved to Crewe And I found myself a job to do Working on the railway I was wearing corduroy bridges Digging ditches, pulling switches Dodging hitches I was working on the railway In 1843 I broke my shovel across me knee And I went to work for the company On the Leeds and Selby Railway I was wearing corduroy bridges Digging ditches, pulling switches Dodging hitches I was working on the railway in 1844, I landed on the Liverpool shore. Me belly was empty, me hands were raw, with working on the railway, the railway. I'm weary of the railway, poor Paddy works on the railway. When Daniel O'Connell, he was alive And Daniel O'Connell, he was alive And working on the railway I was wearing corduroy bridges Digging ditches, pulling switches Dodging hitches I was working on the railway In 1846 I changed my trade from carrying bricks Changed my trade from carrying bricks To working on the railway I was wearing corduroy bridges Digging ditches, pulling switches Dodging hitches I was working on the railway in 1847, poor Paddy was thinking of going to heaven. Poor Paddy was thinking of going to heaven to work upon the railway, the railway. I'm weary of the railway. Poor Paddy works on the railway. I was wearing corduroy bridges, digging ditches, pulling switches, dodging hitches. I was working on the railway. There we had Paddy on the railway uh, with great Luke Kelly taking the lead vocals there with the Dubliners. Now, if we move on to the late 60s into the 70s and continue to track this idea of the evolution of Irish music and I think kind of its growing sense of place in the world... One of the bands, and I know I shared a lot of inform- a lot of uh, tunes with you over the time of the last few months on Irish Heritage Radio, that actually, I guess, were one of the actual supporting pillars of the Irish musical movement were the Chieftains. Now, what was distinctive about the Chieftains was that they actually came out of the 1960s and into the early 70s in Ireland 
but they start to approach Irish music in a very different way that would have been done before, let's say, in the actual pubs and clubs around the country, the more kind of folk clubs. They started to approach it almost like an orchestra, and uh, Paddy Maloney, the leader, used to do a lot of actual uh, arrangements of old Irish kind of tunes, old Irish songs, and actually put them together. And in course of later years, they even went out in the world even more so and started to connect up with other musical idioms like uh, bluegrass, country, and western, and so on and so forth. But um, I think kind of the chieftains, they were kind of seen as being a bit worthy, if you like, in the late 60s into the 70s. And it's only now when I actually look back and I listen to the class of musicianship and the fact that they were actually able to go out across the world from the early 70s onwards and actually say, this is Irish music and this is a thing of its own. And they were actually live in China, for example, I think it was the 1980s. But generally speaking, they actually found themselves in the same musical halls as you might find orchestras. So here we have, here we have an example, I think it's from the early 70s, of um, the, the chieftains taking a set of polkas. And by the way, polka, you might, if you have anybody of uh, Eastern European ancestry, you might say, hang on a second, oh, that's more like... Hungarian or whatever but yeah it's the same polka and it's the same rhythm and I kind of guess what happened was a lot of the actual I guess kind of people went out to fight with the Austro-Hungarian Empire uh, for them I should say back in the 1700s and my guess is took a lot of this music back as well which they found quite rhythmical and quite pleasing and funny enough a lot of polkas uh, seem to have found their natural home in Ireland in the northwest of County Cork so here we have the chieftains with I think a very interesting example of how they arrange things with Sweeney's polka followed by Dennis Murphy's polka and finishing with the Scartiglen polka Thank you. 
Well, that get your uh, toes tapping there. I hope it did. We had the chieftains there with a set of polkas. Yeah, I, I think kind of just put together. It's it's very interesting to kind of hear those what I would call throwaway tunes that you often hear in a pub around the country in Ireland, but actually with every ounce of the music kind of drawn out of them and put together in a very interesting arrangement. So marvelous ambassadors for Irish music, and again as they went around the world. We were all very, very proud of what they were achieving and they were put up as an actual poster, if you like, of how well Irish music was being received in the concert halls around the world. So staying with the 1970s, um, I mentioned earlier about kind of it was a time in the 60s, for example, where a lot of various folk singers and musicians started to tour around Ireland and UK, Scotland, England, Wales. People like Billy Connolly, if you're familiar with the comedian, people like Ralph McTell, people like Christy Moore, uh, people like the various members of Fairport Convention, all with a background in their local folk music and songs. And they used to collect these songs. And the interesting thing was that when they bumped into each other in each other's kind of uh, in the clubs, they started to exchange these songs. So somebody might have heard an old English song and said, oh, that's pretty interesting. Never heard of that before. Let's say the Rose of Allendale. And then actually brought it back to Ireland. And in fact, we find songs like the Rose of Allendale we consider to be Irish because it actually came through, let's say, so many notable Irish singers in the first place. But one of the actual first small bands, and I mentioned the Chieftains, which is quite a large kind of, I suppose, ensemble. But one of the kind of the more rock and rolly kind of uh, four piece band was a band called Planksty, which had four very unique musicians and singers and arrangers. Actually, within their ranks, you had Don Lonnie, who actually brought something called the bazooki, which you might associate more with Greece. You had Christy Moore, of course, who brought the vocals and uh, his ability to collect songs along the way. Uh, you had Lee Mogo Flynn, who's one of the last remaining practitioners of the Ilham Pipe. And you had an Englishman by the name of Andy Irving, who actually played and sung, uh, but played a number of instruments such as uh, mandolin and so on. So they they actually, I think, kind of brought out a lot of old Irish tunes. They brought out a lot of old Irish songs and started to kind of reinterpret and polish them in such a way that it didn't really matter that they were Irish because suddenly they felt very international. Here we have an example of one of Planksty's earlier songs. It's actually called The Pursuit of Farmer Michael Hayes. Uh, it's actually an older song than themselves. But again, it's an actual song for the times of the, the land wars in Ireland following the actual immigration when you had those mass evictions and so on. So it's, it's very much a sociological statement, this entire song. But by gosh, is it entertaining at the same time? I am a bold and daunted fox that never yet was trapped or caught. Me rent to rates and taxes I was willing for to pay. I made me name and find good land between Tipperary and Knocklong. Where my forefathers lived and died three thousand years ago. I lived as happy as King Saul and loved me neighbours one and all. Had no animosity for either friend or foe Then I was of late betrayed by one who was a fool I know He told me I should leave the place and show me face no more The day that he evicted me it's then I knew that I should flee 
Late one night I took his life and left him lying low He fell victim to a shot, his agency was soon forgot From that day on the searching for farmer Michael Hayes Soon there was a great lookout beland and see myself to rout From Dublin Quay to Belfast along the raging sea they telegraphed they didn't desert a great reward for my arrest Me figure size and foreign, me name without mistake They broke their brogs a thousand pairs, this great reward for two of ten Still their search was all in vain for farmer Michael Hayes They searched to Ferrari or Endor, the garden fields near Galtimore they then went into Wexford town but did not long delay Through Ballyhale and Stranmore they searched the woods as they went on As they were hungry, wet and cold before the break of day You may roam the world but far and near but never such a tale you'll hear Of a fox to get away so clear as I did from them hounds Search the rocks, the gulfs, the caves, the ships, the liners in the bays The ferry boats and steamers as they were gone to sea Around the coast they made a steer from Poolbeg Lighthouse to Cape Clear Killarney Town and Sleetcherly they then crossed into Clare When they landed on the shore they searched to rush from tip to toe Search the baths at Sweetless Stone, like Boys Milltown, Malbec. Galway been a place of fame, they thought was there I might remain. Still their search was all in vain for a game from all like them. Now I'm in the 
land of liberty, I think for all me Are you enjoying our evolution of Irish music in 12 tracks? Love to hear your uh, feedback so far. Do feel free to leave your comments below. So that was Planksty there, the band Planksty, with uh, The Pursuit of the Farmer Michael Hayes. Hope you enjoy that. Sticking with the 1970s, we're now going up to County Donegal there, up in the northwest of Ireland. And we're actually going to go into a place called Guidor, which is what we call the Gwaeltoc, part of the Gwaeltoc region. In other words, one of the places where Irish Gaelic, if you like, was still spoken as the primary language uh, right up into the present, actually. And one of the bands that actually formed there in the 1970s was a band called Clonad, more or less meaning family, extended family uh, from the Irish clan Clonad. Um, and they were the, uh, the the Brennans, basically, and they came out of a particular pub. In other words, their father, Leo uh, Brennan, was actually a pub owner up there. And they were steeped in the collections of a lot of the actual local Irish uh, singers and musicians and so on. So one of the things they actually did, of course, was not only did they take the actual uh, local tunes, but they tended to actually sing the songs and compose songs in their own native Irish and just as a byword, by the way, um, we have the Brennan, uh, the Brennan Evrenines here. And one of the sisters who played with them for just a small amount of time, her name was Etna. Uh, but you may know her more as Enya, who actually goes by one of those people's fortunate enough just to use four letters in their entire name. So she, of course, was a very good breakout. But the reason I'm actually focusing on here in Clonard was that I think it was around about 1978-79, Top of the Pops, which came out of uh, the UK, which was the local pop show at the time, listened to by, I suppose, millions of people every week. They actually had the very, very first song, which came from a TV uh, show that they actually scored. I think it's called Harry's Game. And it was actually the first song ever to feature on Top of the Pops in the Irish language. So that certainly got our attention. So here we have Clonard now with a song called Mavira or My Mary, and I hope you enjoy. Don't join me, I'll agree, could you not call me? 
we had Clonet with Mavara and maybe you can hear from that particular arrangement where Enya started to get some of her arranging ideas from. Now we're going to actually move into the 1980s but again this was all about kind of a growing sense of self-confidence um, about ourselves in Ireland, the sorts of music we actually were appreciating that it wasn't just about having a kind of a piece of throwaway music in some pub that nobody was particularly interested in. This was music and these were songs that were appreciated not just by the Irish diaspora around the world, but growingly by a range of people who had no direct connection with Ireland. So as we hit the 1980s, um, I guess I would look at this as being a decade of a lot of change in Ireland. Uh, we went into the 1980s with, I mean, it's, it's almost painful to actually think back in it as such, but you had mass unemployment amongst the young. You actually had still had in uh, a Roman Catholic church in Ireland, which wasn't really about religion, but was very much institutionalized an awful lot of how one went around their daily, weekly and monthly business. And it's a kind of an interesting time because we went into the 80s, uh, becoming one of the most educated kind of group of young people around. And of course, the problem with education is you start to actually question some of the institutions that surround you. And asking yourself, well, why is that in place? How is that helping anybody? And so on. So I think we kind of went into the 80s one way and we came out of the 80s another way. And part of that was a growing sense of self-confidence in our worth as a country. Remember, as a country, we were only, I suppose, in the first instance at that point in time, only 50 odd years old. So we had the 1980s. But one thing I remember about the 1980s was 70s into the 80s. You have some marvellous singer-songwriters starting to come to the fore in Ireland. And some beautiful, beautiful, uh, especially female vocalists. So I'm going to choose one here, and it's Mary Black, 
who you may know already of from Dublin. And Mary came to prominence there probably primarily in the early 1980s and came up as well with a band called De Donnan at one point. And we have her here singing a song called Song for Ireland, which was sung, sorry, composed by, was it Pete St. John? I'll come back to it again. No, it wasn't Pete St. John. It was actually composed by an Englishman. But he was inspired. He actually actually stood out over, uh, I think, a headland in Dingle and just looked out over the sea. And it was this sort of song, a song for Ireland, that started to give us a growing sense, confidence and pride of our place in the world. Living on your western shore 
What a beautiful voice there. We had Mary Black with a song for Ireland. So we're in the 1980s now. And one of the actual thing I remember very, very well was, um, you know, I, I guess kind of Ireland kind of came of age into the late 80s, into the early 90s. Uh, once we recognised, we actually had started to have a fairly okay rugby team on the pitch. We had great uh, GA, in other words, uh, Gaelic football and Gaelic hurling teams, which played locally inside Ireland for the most part. But we started to actually do quite well on the actual soccer front as well. And one of the actual songs which you'll hear sung throughout stadiums today, anytime the Republic of Ireland is actually playing, or the Irish rugby team, or indeed the Celtic football team up in Glasgow, is this following song, which is The Fields of Athen Rye. Now, The Fields of Athen Rye is a song by Pete St. John. I think it was composed about 1989, sorry, 1979. But it actually has a distinction of being one of those songs, which is one of the first songs written following the famine about the famine. It was almost like a time in our history. We just didn't mention it. Fair enough. We had lots and lots of rebel songs, you know, covering the time after and before the famine as such. But, you know, the famine itself really wasn't touched on much. So we have kind of a cracking tune. Um, it was interpreted by a wide number of people, but I think the version that most people actually uh, enjoy and know and realise is one sung by Paddy Riley uh, back in the mid-1980s. <clears throat> so here we have Paddy Riley, and I chose a live version just to kind of give you an idea of just how much into the song the actual audience gets. So if you're ever at an actual or looking at a kind of a recording of uh, an Irish football game, especially a... Uh, a Galway hurling or football game as well. This, in fact, is their anthem, and you'll hear it just pulling the stadium down. So here we have the fields of Athenry and Paddy Riley. Child with dignity. 
see. On your own, now give it a lash. Here we go. What a great rendition by the audience, not to mention Paddy Riley there, of the Fields of Athen Rye. Now, staying with the 1980s, do you remember earlier I mentioned the fact that there was uh, so much kind of, especially emigration uh, to the uh, cities of England, Scotland, Wales, uh, following the 1950s? Now, of course, a lot of the people who actually went there in the 50s and 60s and so on, they actually ended up staying there and having children there. And a lot of these children would actually spend their summers visiting their grandparents' place back in Ireland. So yeah, these kind of Cockneys or uh, Scouses from Liverpool or maybe Glaswegians heading back to Ireland every year or every other year, perhaps with the mum, to actually visit the local farm and maybe spend a few weeks on the farm. <clears throat> now, one of these uh, particular individuals was a gentleman from London called Shane McGowan. Now, Shane McGowan, you might know as the lead singer and songwriter with the Pogues, uh, absolutely fantastic band that actually came together more or less in the 1980s and had their high time from the mid-80s onwards. But one thing about Shane and Shane McGowan was that he actually had those roots, if you like, very, very firm Irish roots, both in London, in his local diaspora. And by the way, I had 
and so had especially uh, a lot of actually Galway aunts in London who never lost their accent in 40 years you had the East Galway accent all their lives so Shane was brought up in that particular environment and spent his time in the summers going back to the farm in County Tipperary now Shane then actually uh, was responsible I suppose through the Pogues for doing something really unusual he basically took a lot of those older Irish folk songs especially and he just pumped that punk energy into it, if you like. But he very quickly then became a songwriter of note himself, which was really, really interesting, certainly for me. And we started to actually pay a lot of attention to it. So you had the Pogues there, more or less just gathering, uh, I suppose, kind of notice and uh, notices all over the UK and to Europe and so on in Ireland back in the 1980s. And again, giving us a way of looking at Irish music in a very different way. And just before I actually go on, by the way, I know I wrote a letter quite recently about the actual uh, given name John and talking about how with Irish we tend to drop the J and make it an S instead. And so John becomes Sean. However, if you actually go up to Ulster, there's more of an em- emphasis, uh, if you like, instead of putting the fodder, as we call it, over the A and Sean, making it an aw sound, we put it over the E, S-E-A-N, over the E and it makes more A sound. So you have Shane. So Shane is, in fact, just a version of Sean as such. So there's a little bit of information for you. In fact, McGowan, of course, is uh, Max, son of, and Gowan is from the Irish for Smith. So you could say Shane McGowan is actually another version of John Smith, believe it or not. But there you go. So here we actually have a song from Shane and the Pogues called The Body of an American. And I especially started to pay attention to this when it was featured a lot on a US series called The Wire, which is set in the, um, well, mostly amongst the actual uh, police department of Baltimore, another Irish uh, named town, Baltimore, Baltimore in Maryland. And uh, The Body of American was this particular tune, this song, was the one they actually played every time they actually had a wake inside the pub for one of their lost officers, and they all joined in. So as you listen to it, I think you could probably hear through it how, how it's just such a rousing and kind of, uh, I suppose, a tune full of personality. And just to warn you as well, there's a fair few body lyrics in there as well. So if you enjoy them, great. If you don't, well, you know, they're in there as such. And you will find that a lot with Irish songs, by the way. You know, we tend to kind of not worry about kind of, you know, what could, you know, there's a lot of farmyard humour, I suppose, in the way in which a lot of songs are written. So here we have The Body of American with the Pogues. Later we are. 
taste of whiskey. There was uncles giving lectures on ancient Irish history. The men all started telling jokes and the women they got frisky. With five o'clock in the evening, every bastard there was pissy. Very well gone away, there's nothing left to say. Farewell to New York City boys, the Boston NPA. He took them out with a well on cloud and I often heard him say, I'm a freeborn man of the USA. He fought the champ in Pittsburgh and he slashed him to the ground. He took on Tiny Tartanella and it only went one round. He never had no time for rights for drink or dice or horse. When the fight was right, so I sent him to the war Very well gone away, there's nothing left to say With Slancher Joe and an Aaron Gomer loves in America The calling of the rosary, Spanish wine from far away I'm a freeborn man of the USA I remembered how I swore that I'd come back to you one day And as the sunset came to meet the evening on a hill I told you I'd always love you, I always did, I always will Fairly well gone away, there's nothing left to say But to say adieu to your eyes as blue as the words are in the bay To big Jim Dwight, a man of war who was often heard to say I'm a freeborn man of the USA I'm a freeborn man of the USA I'm a freeborn man of the USA What a great, lively tune there. Shane McGowan and the Pogues and the body of an American. Now, I certainly wouldn't mind it played at my own wake. What do you think? Now, we're moving on to the end of the 80s and into the 90s here. And we're going to have a band that came out of Tuam, this town of Tuam, in County Galway. And they're called the Saw Doctors. And the Saw Doctors are very interesting because, again, they used to write their own 
their own songs, they used to do them for all, it was just high energy. It could actually be, let's say, sound like a country song, but they sung with their local Galway accents. And also the lyrics that they actually put to their songs tended to reflect a lot of what was going on at the time in Ireland. So they hit it. They had a huge resonance, if you like, from about 1990 in Ireland. And again, giving people kind of a growing sense of our importance on the music stage of the world. Because I remember living in the UK, for example, in the mid-90s. And uh, the favourite band of a lot of the people at that point, in fact, was the Saw Doctors. A lot of those people had no connection with Ireland at all. Now, I also mentioned that going into the 80s and coming out the other side was a time of a lot of societal change. Uh, in Ireland and in fact if you listen to the actual lyrics of this song I used to love her which was their first um, their first song we were all a bit shocked when we heard the lyrics for the first time uh, grown ups and all as such because they were being quite um, I suppose kind of uh, despite disrespectful a little disrespectful of the institutions surrounding church and so on so you'll hear lots of references to mass and, you know, the fact that a lot of people back in the day used to go to Mass to see members of the opposite sex, whereas they, they could view them from a distance and just check them out and decide, you know, OK, now I'll keep going to Mass a little while longer. That sort of thing. Um, you know, there was a lot of that going on. So their lyrics actually resonated a lot with young people, especially at the time. But also that it actually, I think, kind of marked a huge change inside Ireland with the view of how we saw the structures of society and what we wanted to change for ourselves. So it's a real marker of appointed times. So it's all doctors here with I Used to Love Her. I have fallen for another, she can make her own way home. For concern on Christmas Eve She was on a 40 in her fast Just water and black tea And I walked straight up And made an ostentatious contribution And I winked at her to tell her I'd seduce her in the future When she's been an ulcer I used to love her I used to love her once truth of it, she's no longer my obsession. A lot of thoughts and dreams I had of her would take six months in confession. See, I met this young one Thursday night and she's into free expression. And her mission is to rid the world of this sinful repression. Then we had a session. I used to love her, I used to love her. Let's go. 
she can't make her own way home What a great rousing song there. I used to love her with the Saw Doctors out of Tumen, County Galway. Now, I there started the 1990s, but I'm really kind of coming to the end of our 12 tunes, 12 tracks to actually track the evolution of Irish music. And again, my sense of evolution here is not necessarily that kind of technical sense, but the sense that, you know, alongside the river dances and um, let's say the various kind of show bands, as in the Celtic Womans and so on, they're out in the world there and doing the rounds you just had that kind of sense they wouldn't have been there if a confidence actually didn't arise down through the decades especially from i would say the 1940s onwards as such so we're actually going to have our second last tune here and we're going to come all the way into the relative presence and it's from a group which in a similar way to the chieftains you could say it's like chieftains mark ii uh the um the martin hayes a master fiddler from uh, County Clare, who went out in the world and based himself in many, many different countries, got together here with a man called Irla O'Leonard, who, like Clonard from County Donegal, was brought up in a uh, place where he act- where Irish was his native language. And he they got together with uh, some more musicians, in fact, from around the world, and started to kind of just reinterpret and play around with... Um, I suppose, kind of known Irish tunes, new Irish tunes, new arrangements, that sort of thing, and brought them into the large concert halls of the world. So it's a band called The Gloaming. And here we actually have a tune. I think it's kind of a very interesting way of bringing the past into the present uh, and arriving back at exactly the same place, only everything is, only everything is different. So here we have a tune It's actually in Irish. It's called Saura Saura, and Saura, S-A-M-H-R-A-D-H, is the Irish for summer. So if you listen carefully, you can actually hear that sense of the promise of early summer through the lyrics. I think it's a beautiful tune. I think you'll enjoy it. Gal, hogum or fain and soberly. 
Sour Sour there, uh, performed by The Gloaming. Um, I think it's one of those just oh, something about it. You could just have that on in the background, the entire album, actually, as you go on about your work and you'll end up being a happier person and a more content and more calmer person by the time the music has maybe kind of played or looped around a couple of times. Now, we're actually down to song number 12, track number 12. So remember, we're talking about 12 tracks to track the evolution of uh, Irish music. And... Again, I guess kind of my, my take on Irish music, it's all about its reputation and our sense of self-confidence down through the decades. One of the bands we actually featured earlier, and this is the track we're going to finish up with, one of the tra- bands we finished featured earlier was The Chieftains, who really from the 1970s started to actually hit the stadiums of the world with their very unique, I suppose, orchestrated versions 
of uh, different Irish classics and re, 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 um, reorchestrated and so on. And of course, along the way, they started to make a lot of friends, other musicians and so on. And they started to become very experimental from about the mid-1990s onwards with other idioms around the world, uh, be it kind of Chinese music, be it, uh, be it actually rockabilly even. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, actually, uh, bluegrass, be rockabilly or whatever. There's different, different things going on. And I thought we'd finish with this particular tune, which was uh, coming from a time when the Chieftains visited Nashville and recorded them with local musicians led by people like Ricky Skaggs and Emmylou Harris, who feature on this particular track. And I think it's kind of just brings us around a really, really nice circle back to where we started with a sense of the music to the forefront, but now with real legs on it, if you know what I mean. A real sense of kind of, all right, this is stuff, this is music, this has got power behind it. God knows where we came, how it came to us as such a small nation. But it is something that we can enjoy in the pubs of the world, and the pubs of Ireland, I should say, especially. And I hope you'll be back into the pubs of Ireland relatively soon. Uh, on stadiums around the world, and likewise, I hope you'll be back in the stadiums soon enough as well. Or we could just kind of sit down in a wake, or we could sit down in a family get-together and maybe kind of whistle a tune or hum a tune or sing a song. And you know what? There's just so much there to draw from. But here we actually have an actual tune, which I think kind of brings everything together and brings us around full circle. And in fact, it is called Will the Circle Be Unbroken?
Will the circle be unbroken? There we have the Chieftains in Nashville with friends such as Ricky Skaggs, Amy Lou Harris and many, many more. I think that was a fitting tune to actually round off our 12 tunes. And I know it wasn't particularly Irish, but I think you could hear it coming out there to round up uh, our evolution of Irish music. And again, it's a very my very personal interpretation of an evolution of Irish music. So how about you? Do you have particular favourite tunes or songs or artists that I actually included there in one of the 12 tunes? Or maybe indeed it's kind of something that, hey, I never heard them before, I must look them up. So remember, you will actually find a full track listing for today's show, all the tracks listed, at our show notes at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 724. That's a letter from Ireland.com forward slash 724. So I think that's about it for this week. Hope you really enjoyed the show. I know I certainly enjoyed sharing that music with you. And uh, I look forward to having your company again next week. So until then, slán for now. If you've enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we'd like to invite you to check out our special membership area, the Green Room. You hear us mention it a lot during the show. And you can find full details of the Green Room at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. Our Green Room is the essential resource for anybody at any stage in researching their Irish heritage, because it's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and really connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. In the Green Room, you get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member-only access to johngrenham.com and a very supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The Green Room is the perfect place to be for anybody starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So why don't you come and join us there at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. That's it for me, but I'll be back next time with another installment of the Letter from Ireland show. And I really look forward to chatting to you then. Slán gafól, Karina. <laughs>